Uh, I'm going to say no one's better than me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's go. Blow up. Welcome, everybody, to the Hump Day, Wednesday, July 22nd, 2020 edition of Locked on Dolphins. I'm your host, Kyle Krabs, lifelong Miami Dolphins fan, managing editor of USA Today's DolphinsWire.com, director of scouting at TheDraftNetwork.com, and today we have some news. We have an extended question from yesterday's edition of Power to the Pod, which I am eternally grateful for. And uh, we're going to start things off today with the latest developments as it pertains to the ongoing labor. I guess labor negotiations is technically what they are uh, involving both the league offices and the NFLPA amid the ongoing coronavirus pandemic. We have some news that came through yesterday on a couple of fronts. Let's dig into that to get us started here on today's episode. The NFLPA told their players yesterday that there will be no preseason games leading into the kickoff of the 2020 season due to the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic. This is not necessarily a threat to the 2020 season, but rather a concession made on the part of the owners to allow for as safe of a possible return to action for all of the NFL players. Medical guidelines have provided the NFL with instructions on how to best position their players for a return to play, and that required a lengthy reintegration process to having the players in the locker room. That timeline required the NFL to rethink their preseason strategy for 2020, and hence there will be no games this summer. But of course, if the end result of this change is that we get an NFL season as scheduled, will anyone really wring their hands that we lost the exhibition contests? That's the challenge that the NFL has to walk, and that's the challenge that the Players Association was faced with in trying to come to terms with how to best return to field and protect the interest of the majority of their players. There are players who will be hurt by no preseason games. Especially when you piggyback this with the NFLPA reported agreement with the NFL that the training camp rosters will be 80 instead of the typical 90. And for the Dolphins, who have a roster exemption for the international program and one of the players they've been carrying on their roster, they now have 11 less spots versus what a standard year would provide. The silver lining for the Dolphins specifically is that the team has not been carrying 90 players. The team cut down to 87 players and held firm there throughout the course of the past several months, seemingly with this obstacle in mind in not filling these final four roster spots. So the Dolphins will have to cut seven players from their roster before the opening of camp, further complicating any challenges that undrafted free agents would have in potentially making an active roster this year because there's 10 less spots, that is 10 less players per team that will be entering into training camp and putting on the pads, getting into preseason games to showcase their abilities, and hence you will probably see a lot more teams gravitating towards players with NFL resumes and not 
carrying so many undrafted free agents in the camp. Losers for the Dolphins specifically, when you think about who is on the fringe of the bubble. You think about players like Ray Lima and Bryce Sterk along the defensive line. Undrafted free agents, both of them. Kylan Johnson, a linebacker, transferred from the Florida Gators program and played last year with the Pittsburgh Panthers. Another undrafted free agent. Wide receiver Matt Cole, a small school prospect who is an undrafted free agent. These are the kinds of players that perhaps one of them would have gotten into camp and lightning would have struck And we would have had an exciting undrafted free agent on our hands, much like what we saw last year when Nick Needham came in and Preston Williams came in, and those players were able to make a positive impact. But because of the COVID-19 pandemic, we are seeing concessions that ultimately are going to cut down on not just the Dolphins, but for all 32 teams, the opportunities for young, unproven players to stake their claim and earn themselves a significant role. Does this hurt? Yes. But in the grand scheme of things, there will be more football left to play, and I'm sure the NFLPA will fight due to the extenuating circumstances to provide as many opportunities to unproven players in in the coming years as, as possible. And if this is the steps that are required, 10 less people on each team's roster, and no preseason games, but that gets the players into a position where they are comfortable with being in the buildings, prepping to play, because at the end of the day, that is the biggest takeaway as it pertains to last week's hashtag we want to play uh, campaign on social media from the players. They want to play. They're ready to play. Many have already openly stated, I'm not worried about me, but I have family members that are at risk and I want to have everything in place to protect myself and my family members as much as possible. There will, I'm sure, be some Opt-outs, the NFLPA and the NFL have reportedly uh, agreed in principle to there being a opt-out for players who are deemed as high risk and are not comfortable with putting themselves in that position. And uh, those players have to make that decision for themselves independently based on their own individual situations. And they have every right to choose to, if they're not comfortable playing, opt not to play. But the general consensus, it seemed from last week's uh, hashtag we want to play campaign, which was reportedly the idea of Dolphins cornerback Byron Jones, was to send the message to fans and to owners that we're not trying to get a, a cheap out here. We're not trying to get a layup and a year off. We want to play football. We are ready to play football. But we want it to be safe for us, and we want you to follow the guidelines of the medical professionals that you, the NFL, have hired to give you the guidelines on how we can best and most safely return to the field. The biggest sticking point, it seemed like, was the timeline. The NFL wanted to play preseason games uh, within two or three weeks, and, and the timeline of a return to football was longer than two or three weeks of training camp when you take into consideration COVID testing to identify and then quarantine players who test positive the strength and conditioning, the classroom learning, putting on the pads, and introducing any contact at all, and stretching this out uh, through a timeline that allowed the players themselves to be comfortable. We now see that taking shape with the NFL conceding no preseason game. So do not take this as uh, a, 
an omen necessarily of things to come and that we won't get football this fall. I would expect we will. But uh, the NFL had to bend a little bit because at the end of the day, it's the players that are going out in the field, it's the players in the locker room who are going to be in close contact with each other day in and day out. And they need to feel comfortable with, with what that environment looks like. And this is a step in the right direction. Ironically, no football in the preseason will lead us to football in the fall. Which at the very least brings up an interesting question. Which players are helped and hurt by no preseason games? And I've put together a list of three apiece. And the obvious answer for the player most helped by no preseason games is Tua Tungavailoa. Suffering a, a dislocated hip in November 2019, obviously. Uh, the more time that he can have bridged between the first time the Dolphins put on the pads and that injury, uh, the better his opportunity to kind of keep things even with Ryan Fitzpatrick and then allow him to return to as close to 100% and full capacity as he can and get into playing shape. And if all things are equal, the Dolphins may go with the younger player if they feel as though Tua can operate the offense at as high of a level as Ryan Fitzpatrick can. So Tua avoiding the opportunity to, to have the Dolphins dive into you know, training camp and preseason games and having Fitzpatrick out there with his experience in this system and his experience in the league to have him come out and, and separate himself from a not 100% Tua Tua is a beneficiary of no preseason games. Preston Williams is another one. A wide receiver suffered an ACL injury against the Jets in the first win of this their season last year at the midway point. Now He's reportedly on track to get healthy and be ready to go by the start of the season. But listen, wide receivers play... They have to generate a lot of force at steep angles to create hard cuts and, and create separation on their routes. The more time that we can buy for Preston Williams and the easier this transition, not necessarily from a preseason game perspective, right? Because Preston's making the team. He's going to be a starter when he's healthy. But if this team doesn't dive into training camp feet first and strap the pads on and two-a-days and all that kind of stuff or whatever the, the regulations allow for these days, and there's suddenly a week of COVID testing, and then there's a week of classroom learning, and then there's a week of strength and conditioning, and then there's some light contact. Suddenly, you know, instead of flipping the switch next week and the Dolphins are in pads on Tuesday, he's still got another three weeks. That's almost a month of additional recovery to make sure you know, that knee is as strong as it possibly can be. And that is a beneficiary for Preston Williams throughout his rehab as he looks to continue to get back to 100%. And hopefully that knee will be stable and he will have uh, as much explosiveness as he possibly can in his lower body as he returns to the field for week one against the Patriots. The other winner that I was able to identify is Raekwon McMillan. And the reason being, uh, Raekwon has more experience in this system than his new challenger for a starting role, Camus Gruger-Hill. And for the second consecutive season, Raekwon McMillan is facing a potential starting battle for his role in the Dolphins' defense. And because he has experience, and because we are facing a more prolonged 
uh, transition in the preseason with no preseason games, uh, Raekwon's going to be ahead based on what he knows about this defense. And, and if Camus can't get on the field and create positive plays to help sway the decision-making process of the Dolphins, then at the very least, Raekwon should be ahead from an assignments and responsibility standpoint because, yes, Patrick Graham is gone, but this is still Brian Flores' defense, and Josh Boyer, who was the defensive backs coach, has taken over. Would expect there to be a lot of continuity on the defensive side of the football. As far as losers, players who are hurt by a lack of preseason games. I think one of the first names that comes to mind is Austin Jackson. Austin Jackson could really afford the preseason reps. You know, he he is a raw player, and if he doesn't get the reps that he needs uh, to kind of work on and polish some of the, the technical deficiencies that his game has right now, the Dolphins coaching staff may be more prone to say, you know what, Austin, let's take the first month of the season. We're going to let you figure this out. But Julian Davenport's going to start because we need more time before we want to throw you out there and feel comfortable throwing you out there to block for either Fitzpatrick or Tua. Another obvious answer of no preseason games is Josh Rosen. Uh, Josh Rosen not being able to showcase himself in a much simpler offense hurts his ability to generate interest in a possible trade, which means Rosen is probably doomed to play uh, the next two years, if the Dolphins opt to carry three quarterbacks in 2020, and then which they should with the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, and then in 2021, doomed to be the backup uh, to Tua without ever seeing the field. So Josh Rosen's next opportunity uh, to take snaps, barring any you know craziness with the uh, pandemic this fall, is next preseason. But he will be an expiring contract at the end of the 21-21 season. So his trade value will be greatly diminished, and then henceforth he will be more valuable to the Miami Dolphins. The third player I was able to identify is hurt by a lack of preseason games, all of the undrafted rookies. You, know, you may see Danell Stanley and Benito Jones and Kirk Merritt. You know These guys get carried into training camp, and some of these guys make the, the practice squad, and, and maybe one of them makes the active roster. Uh, but the math is pretty simple. So guys like... Matt Cole, guys like offensive tackle Jonathan Hubbard and Kylan Johnson, the linebacker, and Ray Lima, the defensive tackle, and Bryce Sturk and Tyshun Render. These guys have a very, very stiff test ahead of them. Many of them will not make it to camp, period. And those who do, man, I... Do not envy. The good news is the practice squads are expanded, so the Dolphins will be able to carry more players, and then from there, some of these players may get a chance to stick, may get called up on game days for the 55-man roster, so kind of just keep an eye on that. Uh, that. That is a dynamic of this roster, especially with all the UDFA success that this team had last year, that will be interesting to see materialize and play out. Which brings us to our last discussion point today and it comes courtesy of connor swanton and uh connor asked for power to the pod yesterday with all the trades that happened this past year in your opinion what are the worst and best trades the dolphins have made 
in the past 10 years. Keep up the pod, or love the pod, keep up the great work. Thank you, Connor, for your question. It is an excellent one. So I got to thinking a little bit, and kind of the value that the Dolphins saw from some of the deals that they were made, and one of the deals that jumps out to me as a big minus was the Miami Dolphins uh, in 2016. Ironically enough, another deal for Laramie Tunsil. Uh, the Dolphins traded, they had the eighth overall pick, and they traded that pick to the Philadelphia Eagles for pick 13. And also uh, for linebacker Kiko Alonso and cornerback Byron Maxwell. That's it. That is the extent of the value that the Dolphins got in moving back five spots. And at the time, you know, we, we felt the Dolphins were kind of close, and then 2016 comes and goes, and the Dolphins, they finished the year 10-6, and six, and Kiko's pretty good. Byron Maxwell was pretty brutal, and he was off the team soon before long, but... Hey, you know, we we got, you know, we got two starters, two veteran starters for the price of moving back five spots. Not bad. And we got Laramie Tunsil. Um, but to really look at the value, the trade pick value, and, and the drop-off from eight to six, and it's not a good value for the Dolphins, especially when you consider high-priced veterans, one of which was abysmal with the team. The swap of 8 to 13 for Alonzo and Maxwell is a difference on the trade value chart of uh, 300, approximately 350 points, which is the, f- the value of the 55th overall pick in the NFL draft. So a, a middle of the round, honestly, second round pick is what we valued Kiko Alonzo and Byron Maxwell to be. That's a tough sell. When you look at it from a hindsight perspective, even getting Tunsil and you know the value that Tunsil was, and the fact that uh, Tunsil was the top offensive tackle and fell because of the gas mask fiasco and so on and so forth. Uh, but I had another draft day trade that came to mind, and it involved the Dolphins uh, trading up this time instead of trading down. And uh, everybody probably knows where I'm going when the Dolphins traded into the the early portions of the 2013 NFL draft, and uh, they drafted Deion Jordan, uh, giving up a second-round pick to go with that exchange and jump up to draft Deion Jordan, namely because of how bad the return on investment was. And that's that's kind of how you have to grade these trades, right, Is is look at, well, what did we spend and what did we get in return? And that was a deal that had a great deal of disparity, especially when you consider Lane Johnson was the other player who was available and got picked a pick, uh, got selected a pick later by the Philadelphia Eagles with a number four overall pick. The Deion Jordan trade was a tough pill to swallow in just about any and every way that you could possibly slice it. When I think about good Dolphins trades uh, since 2010. I start with the one that that really tests the timeline that was given to me uh, and and a deal made in 2010 with wide receiver Brandon Marshall, who the Dolphins traded for. uh, And Brandon only played two seasons in Miami, but over the course of those two years, tallied 2,200 receiving yards and 
nine touchdowns and made a Pro Bowl. And uh, you consider what he was in the three years before that in Denver, in which he went off for 1,300 yards, 1,200 yards, 1,100 yards. He had 23 touchdowns over those three seasons, and the Dolphins traded him for uh, two second-round picks. And then he has good production, and the Dolphins ultimately trade him to Chicago. And then he goes off for 1,500 yards and 1,300 yards with 23 touchdowns and two years in Chicago, his next two years in Chicago. And, like, he should – let's not get it twisted. Brandon Marshall should have been better than what he was here in Miami. He should have been more productive. But the price that the Dolphins paid was good, and the player was great. It just didn't, it just didn't have a chance to stick around too long. And why was that? Some of that comes back to, well, Dolphins hired Joe Philbin. And we know how Joe Philbin was with the leadership council in Miami, right? He didn't want to have anything to do with any personalities that, that potentially stood in his way of getting a grasp on the locker room. And that's why everybody who was on the leadership council for his first season was gone by the time the second season rolled around. Philbin didn't even give Brandon Marshall that chance. He traded him. But the silver lining here, much like the Laramie Tunsil deal, and I'm going to talk about in just a sec, is the return on investment. So the Dolphins traded two twos for Brandon Marshall, got two really good seasons out of him that should have been better with better quarterback play. And then after two seasons, traded him for two threes. So they got nearly equal return on investment for Brandon Marshall. And they got two-plus seasons out of him. Laramie Tunsil, they, they picked him at 13. We had three really good seasons of play as one of the best offensive linemen on the team. Before we have to pay him the monster contract, we get two ones and a two. That's an excellent return on investment in a league where, and, and this is almost the case in every sport, depreciation is very real. It's like buying a car. The moment you walk this thing off the lot, it's game over. You know, you lose 20% value just by putting key in the ignition and driving off the property. Players are very much the same way. So for the Dolphins to get plus value for Laramie Tunsil, more than double up their return on investment, I think gives the Dolphins, especially when considering where they're at in this point in their rebuild, one of the best deals in team history. And that, you know, really flies in the face of conventional wisdom of, wow, well, the Dolphins need a good offensive line, and they traded away their best offensive lineman who's a Pro Bowl player. And But, like, it didn't make sense to pay Laramie. Not at $22 million a year. Not with us going back to square one. we got to crawl before we can walk. We're trying to sprint, and we're a baby as far as a team and a roster and being ready to compete. So those are a couple of the ones that come to my mind. I would love to hear what you guys have to say on this matter. I... I didn't comb through every transaction that the team has made, so I'm sure I'm forgetting some. But the Deion Jordan deal and the 2016 deal that led to Laramie Tunsil stood out as poor values in hindsight. And the Brandon Marshall deal and the Laramie Tunsil deal for return on investment struck me as good deals for the Dolphins over the last 10 years. Uh, if you think of some, you can send them to me. I'm at Grinding the Tape on Twitter. Kyle Krabs. Thanks for listening to the Locked On Dolphins. I hope you guys enjoyed, and I hope to see you again tomorrow. we got two more shows this week to look forward to, so make sure you hit the subscribe button and keep it locked in right here on Locked On Dolphins.